are listening to the Thornapple Valley Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Our hope is for you to be encouraged and to connect with God during this message. If you'd like to know more about Thornapple Valley Church, visit tvcweb.com. Hey, this weekend we're continuing the series that we've been in, Party Like the First Century or Party Like the ADs. And here's why we're doing this series is because all throughout the Bible, it's filled with parties, especially in the New Testament. So I'm going to get started right away. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Christian people should be party people. All right, I'm going to say that one more time. Christian people should be party people. We have a reason to smile, a reason to celebrate. I mean, if you think about it, the very first miracle Jesus did was at a party. He took the water and he turned it into wine. And that should make you feel good, especially if you're from a Presbyterian background, if you know what I'm talking about. Jesus took water and turned it into wine. Did I ever tell you the difference between a Presbyterian and a Baptist? Is that a Presbyterian will say hi to you at the liquor store? But anyway, here's my point. <laughs> Jesus, some of you will catch that later at the liquor store. But anyway, um... <laughs> All my Presbyterians, they send your email to, to tim at gmail.com. But anyway, here, here's, the, here's the point. The first miracle Jesus did is at a wedding party. The last promise Jesus is going to make is at a dinner party before he goes to the cross. Now, I get it. If you're new to faith, God, and Jesus, you might be questioning this concept. What does it mean to really have fun? And people of faith are typically not people who are fun. They're, they're typically serious and, and, and focused and prude and all of those type of things. But the truth of the matter is that Jesus was a party person. If you don't believe me, I want you to go to Matthew chapter 9. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is there. And one of the first times we see him in Matthew's gospel, he's at a party at actually Matthew's house. Here's how Matthew is going to describe that incident with Jesus. It says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Now, this is kind of an odd experience. Here's Jesus. He's perfect and he's pure, and he's at Matthew's house. Matthew's house is the party house. At Matthew's house, He's got many sinners and tax collectors because Matthew was a tax collector. Now, here's the juxtaposition in in verse 11. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? In, In other words, why does your teacher eat with those people? Because he's supposed to be proper and pure and, and man, he's so smart, he's so brilliant. We've never seen him say a swear word. He's so good, but why is he hanging around so many bad people? Some of you have heard me say this before, but I love saying this because I think it's powerful is that the people who are most like Jesus liked him the least and the people who were least like Jesus liked him the most. The people who are most like Jesus, the, the Pharisees, the people who do the scriptures back and forth, 
See, in order to reach the highest level of a Pharisee, you have to memorize the first five books of the Bible. These guys were spiritually elite. And not only did you have to remember the 613 laws from Exodus chapter 20 to Deuteronomy chapter 34, you have to memorize all the other laws they added as well. And so they're going, man, he's brilliant. He's profound. But, but, but why would he be hanging around with those people? Those people lie. They cheat. Those kind of people are, are the kind of people that are bad role models for our kids. And Jesus is surrounded by them. But Jesus was attracted and people were attracted to him who were least like him. And I don't think that they were attracted to him because Jesus lowered his standards and he did not live a righteous and a pure life, but they realized that he had something that they were missing. There was a different kind of hope. There was a different kind of meaning and purpose that people who are far from God said, I got to get close to that guy. The people who were least like him liked them the most, but the people who were most like him liked him the least. Jesus loved to party. The final party we're going to see Jesus at is a dinner party right before he goes to the cross in Luke chapter 22. I want to give you a minute to get to Luke chapter 22 because this party that Jesus is going to celebrate with his disciples, the Jews have been celebrating for about 1,500 years. For about 1,500 years, they have been remembering this moment where after 430 years, God is going to show up. He's going to deliver his people from being slaves, and they called it the Passover. Actually, by the time of Jesus, they would have called it the Passover Seder. Passover Seder. Now, the word Seder in Hebrew means order. Order. So what a Passover Seder was, it was a home ritual that was a mixture of religious ritual, song, food, and storytelling. It would begin with them gathering around the table, and Jews from all over the Roman Empire would show up in Jerusalem to remember this moment. After years of being slaves, God showed up. They were set free, and now they were giving meaning and purpose. Let me show you what it would have looked like during that time. And actually, Jews to this day still have Passover seders. On the plate, there would have been a roasted shank bone that would have looked something like this. And it would have remembered the lamb that was sacrificed. Because here's what happened on the last night after God's people had endured so much. God said, I want you to take a pure and a spotless lamb. And I want you to take that lamb and put that lamb on the doorpost of your home. You see it kind of making a symbol of the cross. And what would have happened on that night is you would have heard two sounds in Egypt. You would have heard the sound of every Egyptian weeping for the loss of their firstborn. But every Israelite, every Jewish person who had the blood of a pure spotless land on the doorposts of their home, you would have heard weeping as well. But it would have been thankfulness because they were passed over. When the death angel goes through bringing darkness and death, 
God's people were passed over. So there would have been a roasted shank bone, and then there would have been greens. And the greens represented a new beginning, new life. But then you would have had bitter herbs. The bitter herbs represented their slavery and their misery. So on this plate, you would have both hope and a remembrance of pain. And then there would have been a mixture, kind of like applesauce that was made up of, it was sweet, but it had nuts and all types of things in it. And, and it reminded them of making bricks in Egypt. Even though it's painful, God brought something good out of it. And then there would have been an egg that also represented new life. But that feast was centered around four major cups. And like I said, if you know somebody who's an Orthodox Jew, they will still have a Passover Seder with these four cups based on some promises that God gives his people. But I want to look at this in Luke chapter 22. We see Jesus with his disciples at this dinner party where it says, after taking the cup, he gave thanks. Now, Jesus knows what's going to happen next. For his disciples, this is business as usual. Every, every time around in April, there's a moment on the calendar where they would remember Passover. They, they would remember being set free from bondage. But Jesus gives thanks, knowing that he is about to be the sacrificial lamb for sin. Then he says, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took the bread and gave thanks. He gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The bread Jesus would have taken would not be like wonder bread, but it would have been very thin bread. They call it matzah bread. Bread baked without yeast. And here's the reason they did not bake the bread with yeast is because God's people had been enslaved for so many years that when God was going to set them free, it was going to happen quickly. They would not have time to bake the bread with yeast. And so he would have break, broke this bread and given it to them. And then I want you to notice again, it says in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. So now you have a second cup. He says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Orthodox Jews to this day, when they remember what God did for them, they remember these four cups based on four promises that God made in Exodus chapter 6. If you've got a Bible, go over to Exodus chapter 6. In Exodus chapter 6, God makes these four promises to his people. Now, God's speaking to Moses, and he says, here's what I want you to say to the Israelites. I am the Lord your God. And I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So these four cups are based on four promises, four I wills. God says, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Number two, second I will. I will free you from being slaves to them. Third I will. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. And then the fourth I will is I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. God says, listen, this pain, this nightmare, 
This misery that you've been walking through, it's not going to end this way. I'm going to do something new in your life. So when Jews take the Passover meal, the first cup that they would drink from is a cup called the cup of sanctification, which is just a Bible word, which means to be set apart. That for years, they felt like that there was nothing special about them. They were just slaves. Can you imagine growing up in slavery? That you didn't even have a name, that you were just referred to as slave number 1157. And God says, no, you have purpose. You have identity. I'm going to take you out of that, and I'm going to give you a sense of meaning. I'm going to give you a reason to hold your head up, to have confidence, because I will set you apart. See, here's what that first cup represents when you think about it in our faith. It represents that God wants to set us free from something that did want to let go of us. See, when you think about the Egyptians and their, their hold on the, the Israelites, the Jewish people, they didn't want to let them go. These, this is free labor. And God shows up, this guy named Moses shows up and says, hey, listen, God said, let my people go. He says, yeah, whatever. But then God's power shows up. And eventually God liberates them and they begin to get this new identity. And when they would drink that cup, they would remember, now we are the people of God. We have a new sense of purpose and identity. You know, when I think about that and how that relates to what God does in our life, I think about a guy by the name of Shane Taylor. We're going to bring his picture up. Shane Taylor looks like a normal guy, but he only looks normal today. See, years ago, Shane went to jail for attempted murder. And while he was in jail in the UK, he actually got his prison sentence extended because he started a prison riot with some broken glass. Anytime they would open Shane's door, they would have four armed guards in riot gear. But there were some Christ followers who came to his prison And they started talking about the hope that Jesus brings. And Shane did something risky. He invited God into his heart. And then there was a change. Shane began to talk about how he had a new hope, a new identity. And people couldn't even believe it. Because here's a guy who's an attempted murderer. Anytime they would would, uh, give him food, they would like open up a little hatch and and give it to him. But but, But they began to see this change. The sense of peace, the sense of calmness. Eventually, Shane, who was an attempted murderer, ended up becoming a prison chaplain. And today he's married and he's got four kids because he experienced the hope that Jesus brings. See, when we receive what Jesus did for us on the cross, the first thing we understand is that God gives us a new identity. But then here's the second cup based on the second I will is God says, I will free you from being slaves. The second cup that they drink from is a cup called the cup of deliverance. The cup of deliverance. God says, I will free you from being slaves. Now, here's something that I think is important for all of us to understand about faith. Because we make a decision to follow Jesus doesn't mean that change happens immediately. It takes time. 
And here's how we experience freedom is in the safety of relationships. Is getting honest. Getting real. See, many of us have made a decision to follow Jesus. And and, and there's a moment where we say, yes, God, I'm going to follow you. But there's a process of next steps that God uses to grow us and bring freedom in our lives. You know, when I think about this, I, I think about it kind of like, you know, we're in Halloween season. And some of you dress up for Halloween. Others of you don't. Some of you wear masks and some of you don't. But here's the truth of the matter is we all wear masks. We, we all hide the real us because there's a fear that all of us have. Is if you saw the real me, would you love me? If, if you saw all of my flaws, if you saw all of my issues, if, if you really, really knew me, would you love me? And so for many of us, we live our lives wearing masks. Not hoping, not letting anybody really get close to us. And we live in bondage to lies from the evil one, addictions, habits that are destructive because of the mass we wear. But there's something that happens. There's a freedom that happens when we realize that church is not a museum, but it's a hospital. See, some people have this idea that church is a museum where people just, you know, flaunt how spiritual they are. Man, that guy's so spiritual. He can quote the 23rd Psalm in King James language. Wow. As opposed to recognizing that here's what real spiritual growth looks like is not how smart you are, how real can you get. And and it takes a moment of faith. I, I can remember being in my very first small group. I was a teenager at the time. And I remember people going around there talking about stuff. And I'll never forget the moment somebody got real honest and real open and really confessed something that you could have heard a pin drop. And it was in that moment that that person was taking the first steps of freedom. And here's what happened next. Instead of that person getting judged, and and this was before social media and all that type of stuff, here's what other people did, is it gave them the license to also be honest. I'm dealing with that too. I'm, I'm dealing with maybe not that, but something else. And in honesty is where freedom and healing happens. There's a lot of churches in America, and there's some of them where there's a lot of smart and a lot of good people. But you know something? Here's what I love about our church, is that we have real people. Do we have any real people up in here? All right. Some of you didn't raise your hand because you're like, well, I don't know. What does that mean? How real are we about to get? I mean, I brought my kid to church at this service. But here's the point. I don't think it happens in a room like this. It happens in small groups where people get honest and open and vulnerable. You know, I, I remember years ago when, when this happened for me in a deeper sense. I remember I was getting ready to speak somewhere. And I had dealt with so much difficulty, so much pain. And I remember as I'm in this small room, I'm getting ready to speak on stage. And I literally, while I'm sitting there, had this thought. I don't know if I believe what I'm about to say. And honestly, as I had that thought, I thought to myself, do you have to quit what I'm doing because I don't believe it? Or am I actually about to experience freedom? And and, and I felt two moments. First, fear. But then the other one, hope. 
And when any of us get real, when any of us get honest, we feel the same thing. We feel fear when I confess, when I get real about whatever this situation is, what are people going to say? What are they going to do? But then we experience the hope of freedom. And I remember talking to other people about that and journeying through that. And now when I stand before you, I got to tell you, being free feels good. It, it feels good to not have secrets. It feels good to be healed. That's what God does in our lives. So when they would drink those cups, the first cup was the cup of sanctification. The second cup was the cup of deliverance. The third cup, they called it the cup of redemption. The cup of redemption. If you know somebody who's an Orthodox Jew, you could actually experience this to this day. Around April, they will drink from these four cups, the third cup, the cup of redemption. Now, the word redemption is a financial term. Now, I know that all of you guys are Christians and none of you play the lottery, but if you actually play the lottery and you win, please tie the TVC. We will receive it in Jesus' name. But here's the point. The moment you win, what you do is you have to take that and redeem it. You got to redeem it. You got to turn it in. It is the ticket that says you actually won. Here's what redemption is. It's a legal term saying, okay, you were a slave, but God paid the price for you. In our faith journey, Jesus paid the price for our sins. So we don't have to live enslaved to sin anymore because Jesus paid the price. So when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, remember that I went to the cross so you don't have to live in sin. This is why Christian people should not feel be guilty people. Because when I actually confess my sin to God and I remember what he did for me, he dealt with it all. He dealt with all of my pain, all of my sin, all of my junk. But then here's the last cup that they would drink from. It was called the cup of Hallel, which means praise. The cup of praise. Because God says, I'm going to take you as my own people. See, while they're walking through that wilderness, there's a moment where it gets hard. They're, they get free from where they were. God's taken them to where they're supposed to be, the promised land, a land that flows with milk and honey, a land where the lions win every Sunday. I mean, it's a beautiful land. It's a wonderful land. But in the process, they have to learn to trust God's provision. And it gets scary at times. And oftentimes they want to turn back. And they want to go back to what they used to be in. You know, here's what I noticed to be true. In the process, in the journey of becoming a fully devoted Christ follower, there are moments along the way where all of us are tempted to go back to dysfunctional behavior. Not because we like it, it's just what we're used to. There, there's some of you here in the room, there's some of you in Delton and Middleville online. And the reason you go from dysfunctional relationship to dysfunctional relationship is not because you like it, it's all that you know. But there's a moment along the way, as we're walking through the wilderness, that we learn to trust God. We learn to trust that, God, you're going to provide. I don't have to do it for myself. I, I don't have to bring attention to myself. I don't have to accomplish everything by myself. I don't have to do this alone. And then we learn to trust God's protection. Here's what I want to say to somebody. 
Right now, you may be feeling heartbroken because something didn't work out. And actually what you see as rejection might actually be God's protection in your life. See, they, they, they want to go back into bondage and God says, no, I'm not going to allow that to happen. I'm trying to protect you. But then the last thing they learn to trust is that God has a purpose for them. And there's a moment where they step into the promised land. There's a moment when they cross the Jordan River that they're excited and they finally get there. And it's at that moment that they learn to praise God. See, God wants to do this work in our hearts and our lives. He wants to bring us through a process of change. And as we remember what he did for us, it reminds us that God is good. That he's faithful. You know, in a moment at all of our campuses, we're going to receive something called communion. Communion is something that we do as Christ's followers to remember what Jesus did for us. Because on that night when Jesus is going to be betrayed, he says, this is the cup of the new covenant. It's a new agreement between God and humanity. It's not based on the blood of bulls and goats. It's based on my blood that's about to be poured out for you. And we're going to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross, how he brought our new life, how Jesus was the lamb who was slain for our sins. And here's how we're going to do it on all of our campuses is I'm going to give you a moment during this next song to come up for those of you who are Christ followers to receive the the communion elements. We also have gluten-free at all of our campuses. I'm going to invite you to hold on to them, and then I'm going to come up and we're going to receive it together. And we're going to remember what Jesus did for us, how he shed his blood so that we could be cleansed and we could live in his purpose. If you're not a Christ follower, this might be just a time for you to stop and think about what does it mean for you and where are you at on the journey? Maybe you're in a place in your life where you're still trying to figure out Is this a step you want to take? Maybe you're saying, this is my day where I want to trust in Jesus. But whatever it is, we're going to give you an opportunity to think about what your next step is as we, those of us who are Christ followers, are going to receive the communion elements, hold on to them. I'm going to come up, and we're going to take them on all of our campuses together. Pray with me. God, today, as we remember what you did for us, that last dinner party that was so painful for you. God, we remember the reason that we can praise is because you endured our pain on the cross. So today, God, I pray that as we reflect, as we prepare to receive your sacrifice, God, I pray you would help us to leave our guilt, our shame, our brokenness at the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Thornapple Valley Church Podcast. If you found this message encouraging, we invite you to share it. For more information, visit tbcweb.com.